Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mom of the Hard Kid. Today, I'm going to tell you about an epiphany that I had while I was at the psychiatrist's office for my six-year-old daughter who has reactive attachment disorder. Now, when I go through this, I have so many different thoughts flooding in at the same time that I hope that this makes sense. I just dropped my daughter off at school. I just came in. I'm just sitting down at the computer and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I have to tell somebody. (laughs) So we go to the psychiatrist's office and for a part of it, I don't love it. You know me when it comes to medical professionals I'm just like, ugh, like, I know you don't know what I'm talking about. I know when you hear me say this, that you think it's that, but it's really this guy over here. And, and it's kind of frustrating. And one of the frustrating parts of this visit is we've been going to this psychiatrist for two years and I like him. He's a really nice guy, but I'm telling him stuff and he has no idea what I'm talking about. And he is looking at his notes and he's like, uh, I see here that we had her on Adderall for a while and we took her off. Why'd we take her off? And part of me is like, you should have that in your notes, right? Like, don't you think that's a critical thing that doctors should have in their notes? <clears throat> Why they pick a different medication for their patient. But I said, oh, we had to change her to a non-stimulant because she kept threatening ways that she wanted to kill us. So here I have this four-year-old daughter who's telling me graphic details in a perfectly calm voice, just how she envisions that I'm going to die and how she's looking forward to it. You know, whether she's pulling my eyeballs out of my face, whether she's shooting me in the head, (laughs) all this stuff. And I've explained this in other episodes think Nerf gun and yet think Nerf gun that still explodes. It was crazy. Like it was crazy. And and it was done with like head cocked to the side, like questioning eyes, like very intense eyes, but a total calm demeanor. It was weird. Anyway, so he said, well, absolutely. Let's take her off. Let's move her over to this non-stimulant. And I'm like, hey, I feel like this should be in your notes. And so he goes through a few other things and they're not in his notes. He's not taking notes about it. He has no idea. And he's like, well, how come we haven't done this? And I explain, how come this and this? And I explain. And (laughs) I think it's fine. Like he has a lot of patience. He has a lot of stories that flow through his office. I'm sure he's overwhelmed in life like the rest of us. But I was I was like, this is kind of what I expect, right? But then he said this thing. And he has said this thing before. And when he said it before, I was mad at him. I was mad at him for not understanding. And now I feel like a door opened up in my brain. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> so it was something simple. And he said the very first time when I'm in his office, He says, I noticed that you don't stop giving her attention, that you always let her interrupt. And I was at the time, at the very first visit, I was like, yeah. And I looked at him and I was so desperate for him to understand. And he didn't because at the time I'm thinking, 
you have no idea, question mark. Like you don't know that if I don't give her this attention that I'm getting screamed at, that my stuff is getting torn up when we get home, that if she finds a pair of scissors, I can say goodbye to like half my blankets. Like you don't know that if I don't give her this attention, that my life is going to be awful. Like, shouldn't you know that? But I, and I was angry, but he didn't remember, right? And he observes this again. And he says, I notice that you always let her interrupt you. And I was like, well, yeah, because she has her reactive attachment disorder. And, and if I do not constantly reaffirm or validate her, then my stuff will get ruined. And, and he goes, well, yeah, but don't you think that now she expects that out of all of her caregivers? And that's why she's having a hard time with her teacher. And I was like, (gasps) (laughs) I was like, Oh my gosh. I was like, yeah, she does. She needs validation from every adult she comes by. She needs validation from the kids too. But when it comes to the adults, she needs their every second of attention. She needs all this. And it occurred to me that while I don't think I was wrong in the way that I approached that, I think she needed that co-regulation. It does appear to me now. I see that just because it wasn't the wrong thing to do didn't mean that it doesn't have some consequences that I have to clean up now. That maybe because she needed so much co-regulation that now she demands it from every single person she's by. So let me sort of explain this whole co-regulation system to those of you who maybe don't understand reactive attachment disorder or maybe you're just trying to understand it a little better. When your child is neglected as a baby, they don't learn that somebody else regulates their emotions for them. Now that's kind of confusing. But what I mean by that is when you have a baby and your baby is in the crib and your baby cries, parent comes in and parent picks up the baby and pats the baby or sings to the baby or something, right? You, your job as that parent is to calm the baby and to co-regulate those feelings for that child. Well, when your child has none of this, when they've been just left in their cribs, they tend to learn not to give any signals that there's a problem. They tend to just be a hundred percent or super high percentage just internal, that their brain is doing something and their body is not showing any of that stuff. So they might be distressed, they might be tired, they might be hungry, and they're just sitting there because it does, why would you do something else, right? Doesn't matter. So when babies cry, they're like, oh, I'm distressed. And then someone comes and helps. And when no one comes to help, they just learn that's not a successful thing to do. So they don't do anything, but their brain usually starts working overtime. So when you all of a sudden become the parent to a child who has never had anyone try to meet their needs, they don't know what to do with it. You've messed up their entire process. It's kind of like if you met 
um, Mowgli from the Jungle Book. <laughs> now, he was fairly acclimated, so let's use a non-Disney character. But if you had a child who grew up in the woods, right, and was raised by wolves or whatever, this is an extreme example, and I'm only being partially serious about this scenario. But if you have a child and you meet that child, and the child doesn't understand your language and doesn't understand your home and doesn't understand what you're trying to do, there would be a huge disconnect as you are trying to teach that child about society and about manners and about expectations and about relationships. They wouldn't get it. They would be like, what are you talking about? I just poop wherever I want. (laughs) Why are you making me go in this bowl? Like, stop it. Or they'd be like, I just pick whatever I want to eat because that's what you do, you know? And so they're like, why do you want me to wait until you guys are hungry? Why can't I just eat when I'm hungry, right? So you have this whole processing system that has been now wired into this child's brain to survive. And it is more of a survival technique than most of the kids who have their needs met. And so then you kind of toss them into this family. And the family, even in the best of situations, this is an awkward situation for a child. But when you have a child who really just, in a sense, lived in a totally different world, and can't come over to your world, because it has been literally hardwired into their brain not to, then you end up alone with a very difficult communication style. You can't communicate the regular social norms to a child whose brain doesn't even wire into that section of the brain. So that might have been really confusing. I hope it wasn't. (laughs) But, But basically what I'm saying is they don't get it. So then you have to introduce these things to this older child as if they were a newborn. You have to introduce it from the bottom to the top. You can't just introduce it somewhere in the middle. It doesn't make sense in their brain. So here I have this child and she has no idea how to regulate her emotions. And so I then have to switch into helping her regulate her emotions. You know, when she came to my house for keeps, she is 11 months old. So you would think, hey, that's young enough. She should be able to have all of these things happen. But it didn't. All of the wiring that occurred or needed to occur had already happened. And so here I am trying to incorporate this 11 month old baby into my family. She doesn't know how to self-regulate. She doesn't know how any of this stuff. She She's from a different planet and she doesn't understand our customs and our language and whatever. And she's used to doing all of this in her brain, in her own way. And we are a hurdle for her to understand that. We make everything more complex. If she could just wander around the jungle, pick her fruit, go to the, go to the bathroom wherever she wanted, then she'd be fine. Why in the world are we implementing all of these restrictions on her? She's not had them before. She doesn't understand these emotional regulation skills. If you're out in the woods and you're upset, you want to be able to attack the crap out of whatever animal is next to you, right? Like you want to be able to do that. That's a survival technique. And then you walk into this arena and everyone's like, no, no, no. You calmly talk to this threat 
And you're like, what? (laughs) So teaching these skills was hard. And when he first told me those things, he was wrong. But now that we have two more years under our belt, and she has learned some of these emotional regulation things, and she's learned that someone's going to be there for her, even when she's the worst. And she's learned that, you know, she can have some sort of stability. She's learned a lot of the social norms. She's learned a lot. Then now it's time to take that next step. And I use the analogy of taking the binky away because my oldest daughter, when she was 12 months old, you know how you are with your oldest and you're like, I'm going to do everything right. They said, you need to take away the binky at 12 months old. Well, I didn't. And I knew I needed to, and I felt so bad, but she just, it helped her so much. It helped her go to bed. It helped her stop screaming. Like I, I loved that binky. And then at 14 months old, I was like, okay, I have to take away this binky. So I cut a little hole in the top, like they sometimes tell you. And she screamed for three days, three days. Didn't matter. She'd look for a binky. She'd scream. (laughs) And I remember just being like, this was a mistake. Like, it was so hard. And truthfully, I do wish I'd waited just a few more months. I don't think she was quite ready. But it still needed to happen. And so now I think that it's time for me to take away the proverbial binky for my daughter. It's time for me to take away the fact that she needs to seek that co-regulation at all times because she is expecting it from every person that she's around. And I need to figure out how to teach her those skills to be able to help her regulate herself and to validate herself because that's another huge thing for her is she doesn't have a lot of ability to validate herself even though she can be quite narcissistic sounding at times where she says that she's the best and that and that no one can do anything better than her. You know that she's just talking. She doesn't believe that that's true. But she wants everyone else to believe it's true so that she can feel better about the fact that she doesn't believe it's true. I think that happens to a lot of us. I think that happens to a lot of us in our teenage years. But she just happens to hold it a ton now. So I'm going to be brainstorming about how to do this, but I think a lot of it is going to come from that self-worth side of things, that validation, that personal validation, where even so, even when you do a project or a chore or something like that, and you've done it and you look back and you're proud of the work that you've done, I think all of those things add to our personal validation, even though they're not big, they're little things where we realize that we are a contribution to the world. And we realize that we have utility. Because I think a lot of these kids can't separate themselves from what's going on around them. Self concept is a really difficult thing for kids with reactive attachment disorder. So if I can focus on that, I think that will be really good. But it'll be interesting to see where life takes us. Anyway, thanks for coming along with us as we head to the psychiatrist. <laughs> it was it was an eventful 
and educational experience with a medical professional, which I'm so glad because I don't have a lot of positive experiences with medical professionals. So I'll chalk that up as a positive and thanks so much for joining me.